And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they, were, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we have gathered here this morning to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, the very word that was proclaimed to the shepherds by the angels, Lord, just as the shepherds hastened their way to see Christ, Lord, we have hastened here this morning to see Christ. So God, we would ask that you would put on display in the preaching of your word the glories of your gospel and your grace to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this good news, this glad tidings of joy that you proclaim to us this morning through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is Sunday. It's the Lord's Day, right? But it's also Christmas morning. This is a season, it's a day when, as Christians, we are most hopeful. We are reminded of the incarnation, right? The faithfulness of God in sending the Son in human flesh. And the season is often filled with joy. But the question is, will this joy of Christmas remain next week? When you're back to reality and you're faced with that, that sin again, you're reminded of your trials, they're still there. The pain of grief returns. The question posed to us in this text this morning is, how do we know that God is a faithful God who keeps His promises? When our sin, our grief, our suffering often tell us that it seems He doesn't. Now right now, it's pretty easy for most of us to answer that question. It's Christmas morning. But again, what about when Christmas is over? When the decorations are packed up, the family's not filling your house anymore, you have to face your life again. Every day we are assaulted with reasons to doubt God's faithfulness. Is there hope today? Yes, of course, right? We would all say yes, of course. But is there hope next week? Next month? For some of you, maybe you're suffering in grief, your, your sins even are all the more present today. An empty chair, stress that has led to angry outbursts at your family, maybe even cancer that is keeping you from family and church this morning. Christmas Day does give us hope. 
This day gives us a lasting hope, one that far exceeds the temporary joy of the holiday season, a joyful hope that lasts beyond this one day, a joyful hope that isn't dependent upon your circumstances, whether your highs or your lows. How do we know that God is a faithful God who keeps His promises? Christmas reminds us, just as every Lord's Day does, that God is a faithful God who keeps His promises in Christ. The incarnation of Jesus Christ reminds us that God is a faithful God who keeps His promises. And so it comforts us while also filling us with both praises and hope. Praises and hope that rise above our suffering our sin, and even the temporary joys, the good joys of this world. There's no better passage than this one right here to show us this. Here Luke shows us the faithfulness of God and then shows us the responses to that faithfulness. So first we see a faithful God who keeps His promises. A faithful God who keeps His promises. Look at verses 8 and 9. So in the same region where Jesus has just been born, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. It's very similar imagery to Isaiah 9 that we heard in our call to worship this morning, isn't it? Uh, A light has shone on those who walk in darkness. Here they're literally in the night. Now you as the reader know the context of this, right? We, we see in Luke chapter 2, 1-7 through 7, that Christ has been born. The Son of God is sent. Messiah has come. But the shepherds, they don't know this. They have no idea. The people of Israel haven't heard from God for 400 years. 400 years ago, God said through the prophet Malachi, what we read in our law passage this morning, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. And ever since that moment, silence. Here is God finally speaking, appearing to shepherds. Ordinary people living very ordinary lives. And the text says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And so, of course, they're terrified, right? Of course, they're filled with great fear. You can imagine the shepherds thinking, has God finally come to fulfill His promise? To bring judgment on the evildoers. Is God finally speaking after 400 years and speaking this judgment of Malachi over us? And then what does God say through his angel? Verse 10. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. After 400 years, the very first words the shepherds hear from God is fear not not. If you ever want to know how God approaches Christians in their fears and doubts, it is not shame. It is not shunning. It's right here. Fear not. Why? Why should they not fear? Well, because the angel brings them good news of great joy for all. No longer is the favor of God for Israel alone, right? It's for Jew and Gentile. The angel emphasizes this throughout. But notice, right after the angel says that the good news is for all people, he gets particular. Verses 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. While the, new, while the good news brings joy for all, right, and not just Israel, it is the good news that God has come for you. The language here is uh, explicitly referencing Isaiah 9, right, that very famous passage, for us, for, uh, to us a child is born, right, to us a child is given. In fact, there's only two places in all of Scripture, and it's here in Isaiah 9, where we see in one place a Savior, a son of David, the Messiah, who is both man and God. Every word chosen by the angel here in this proclamation is to highlight one fact. God made a promise long ago, and he is here today making good on his word. God has promised a Davidic Savior throughout the Old Testament, right, that the Savior would come from the line of Judah, the line of David. He has promised a Christ that is the anointed Messiah, and he has promised that this Christ would be the Lord. He would be both from David and of God. And how do the shepherds know this? There's a sign, right? The angel says, this will be a sign for you. What will it be? What will the sign be when we see all of these promises fulfilled, when the glory of the Lord shines and lights up the night? What is the sign? Is it, is it a, a warrior coming in on a horse to take over the government? Is it, is it a crafty politician? No. It's a baby in a feeding trough. And at that pronouncement, all of heaven opens. Verses 13 and 14. And suddenly, suddenly, it's like heaven has been waiting for thousands of years for the gospel to finally come, for the gospel to finally be proclaimed. And here it is, and heaven just opens. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I love that we just sang this. This right here. What was proclaimed so many years ago at the birth of Christ, we just sung. Here, heaven addresses earth about the significance of Jesus' birth. It gives glory to God, right, by bringing peace on earth between God and man. This statement, peace among those with whom he is pleased, it's not an exclusionary statement. Uh, it's a statement of good news. It's not that God is only pleased with, uh, God is only at peace with those with whom he is pleased, although that is true. Rather, what is being communicated here is that God has made a way to be pleasing to him in Christ. That is the central promise that God has kept throughout all of time. The promise that we see fulfilled here in this text. How do you know that you are forgiven as God promised? Even though you're not part of Israel, how do you know that you have peace with God, no matter what your circumstances tell you? Is there a joy that is greater than our sorrow, greater than our sins, even greater than this joyful day? Yes, because God has promised peace to those who have faith in Christ. He has not promised a happy life. He has not promised that you will not suffer, that you will not lose and face loss, that you will not face trials. He has promised peace with him through faith in Christ. 
And we know that God is faithful to his promises because just as God promised, the son of David, as we see in this text, was truly God. The first two chapters of Luke um, use the word the Lord, right? Lord, Yahweh, God, 27 times. 25 of those times are referring to God. You see that in our text uh, in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then two verses later in verse 11. Unto you is born Christ the Lord. He is the Son of God, Christ the Lord, of whom the angels sing. And He must be truly God, because the standard that you must meet to be at peace with God is perfection. And only if Christ is God can He offer a righteousness and a sacrifice of perfection in your place. And He does this without change or harm to his divinity. If you have faith in Christ, if you're a Christian here today, your sins are forgiven. And you have peace with God because Christ, who was truly God, truly satisfied the wrath of God in your place. As promised, the Son of David is the Son of God. How else do you know that God will keep his promises to you? What else is the foundation of our joy in Him? Well, because just as God promised, the Son of God took on human flesh. It is the, the shock of this passage that the Lord of glory who lights up the night, the Lord who the angels proclaim and praise, this God took on human flesh. As the angels say here, He was born in the city of David as God had promised. He's a baby in a manger. He is the Christ, meaning literally the human Messiah of the Old Testament. And he must be truly man, because it is man who deserves the wrath of God. And it is man who suffers under the fall. And only if Christ is man, as promised, can he take the wrath we deserve and sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And he does this, yet without sin. As he is God, without change or harm to his divinity, so he is man without sin. Your sins are forgiven. Christian, you have peace with God because Christ is your complete Savior. And this is the promise that God has kept throughout all of time. If there is any ounce of humanity missing from Christ, then there is an ounce of our humanity not saved. If there is an ounce of His divinity missing or harmed in the incarnation, Christ has no authority to forgive you of your sins. But as promised, the Son of God took on flesh. We have a faithful God who keeps His promises through the one person, Jesus Christ, these two natures, divine and human. If God, who is all-glorious, can lay as a baby in a manger without any change to His divinity or sin, then He can surely forgive you of your sins. Then He can surely remain your unchanging foundation when all else seems to change for the worse. 
You know, our expectation of what it means for God to be faithful is often not one person who is both man and God. The faithfulness of God to you in your suffering, in your losses, even in your sin, is nothing other than Jesus Christ for you. The Incarnation reminds us that God is a faithful God who kept promises for thousands of years and who continues to keep His promises. It is the same God who promised Adam in the garden, who fulfilled that promise right here in our passage, and who continues to keep His promises to sustain you even this day and every day until Christ comes again. This is how we know that our God is a faithful God who keeps His promises. Well, knowing this, that God has been and will be faithful to us, fills us with praises. Having shown us the faithfulness of God, Luke now turns to showing us responses to God's faithfulness. And here um, we see four different responses. So our second point this morning, the response to God's faithfulness. And first we see how the shepherds respond. Verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Notice the change in tone here with the shepherds. They go from being terrified of the Lord, right, to being eager to see him. Having not heard from God for 400 years, God finally speaks peace, and the text says they went with haste. Just like the angels suddenly show up, right? Suddenly appear, so the shepherds go with haste as well. They find Mary and Joseph and the baby. The very promise that God gave to them through the angel is here seen to be true. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Here are the shepherds. They don't just go, right? They go and tell. They act as the first evangelists, proclaiming what had been told to them about this child. Here is the Savior, Christ the Lord, who is the Son of David and the Son of God. This is a great example for us. The gospel impels us to go with this zeal, to go with haste, as the shepherds do here, to share the good news. Then we see how the people here and how Mary responded. Verses 18 and 19, we see, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Can you imagine? Mary and Joseph have just laid their baby in a feeding trough, and here come shepherds running. We've heard from God about this child. And so they tell. And everyone hears this. Everyone who hears this is amazed. The text says that they wonder, they are struck with awe. If you are a Christian, the Son of God, who has existed for all of eternity, came into time in the form of man and in the flesh so that he might die and live again for you. You by name. And everyone who hears this is struck silent with wonder. 
It is the wonder of all wonders that the Father would love us sinners so much that he would send his only Son. But we also see that Mary treasures. What she hears, she ponders, and she ponders all in her heart. So far in Luke and Matthew, Mary has heard that he is the Son of God, right? He's God himself, the Davidic king who has come to save his people. And she's heard this from Gabriel. She's heard from Elizabeth that she is blessed, that she is the mother of the Lord. And she's heard from Joseph, most likely, uh, that Christ has come to save his people from their sins. All that she has heard promised is here seen to be true by the shepherd's proclamation. And she treasures it. The language for treasuring and pondering here, it literally means holding together or or bringing together. It's like Mary is remembering all that she's heard, right? And she's, she's bringing it all together. And she treasures. The silence of wonder and awe before the faithfulness of God to sinners like you and me spills out into a treasuring of His grace. Ultimately, a treasuring of a person, Christ, her Son, Savior, and Lord. True worship is always centered on the heart. It is never merely outward rejoicing, but heart treasuring. And then finally, the text returns to the shepherds in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's interesting. They're kind of a mirror or a parallel to the angels. The angels came and proclaimed the good news, and then they returned to heaven. The shepherds come and they proclaim, and then they return home. Just as the angels glorify and praise God, so here the shepherds glorify and praise God. This is, this is the prayer the will of the Lord be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here is the will of the Lord on earth as it is in heaven. The earnest pursuit to see Christ leads to the silence of wonder that spills over into treasuring Christ and spills out into praising His glorious name. This is true of the heavenly angels. Should it not also be true of us? Brothers and sisters, good theology is a pursuit of Christ. It is an awestruck treasuring of Him. And it should lead not to pride, but to praise. The doctrine that we have seen in this text, the two natures of Christ in one person, it boggles the mind. This doctrine is is very dense, but the assumption that doctrine leads to pride or empty worship is utterly abolished by this text. Because the most lofty and dense doctrine of the Christian faith, one of the most loftiest doctrines of the Christian faith is here in this text, and yet what this doctrine is, is not a fancy theory that has no practical ramifications for our daily lives. It is a truth about a person. And the God who loves us so much that He would keep His promise to send His Son for us. One of the most complex and greatest doctrines of our faith leads not to bookish snobbery or pride. Like the shepherds, the doctrine of the Incarnation leads us to look to Christ alone. To pursue a better sight of Him while also sharing that sight with others, right? Come and see what the Lord has done. Like all 
who hear this news here, the doctrine of the Incarnation leads to wonder and awe that God would be so gracious to sinners like us. Like Mary, the doctrine of the Incarnation leads to us treasuring only Christ because He is our only hope. Pondering Christ and all that He is as the Son of David and the Son of God leads us to give glory to God alone just as the angels do, and just as the shepherds do here in this text. This is the end to which all theology must serve. And it is the pattern of the Christian life. To look to Him, to treasure Him, and then return home to your duty. And to see all of your works as an outpouring of treasuring Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are all theologians. And so, look to Him. Pursue a better sight of Christ. Treasure the Lord of glory above all and praise His holy name as more worthy of honor and your devotion than any sin that you may face this day or the next. The incarnation reminds us that God is a faithful God who keeps His promises. And so it not only comforts us, but it fills us with praises. Praise to a God whom we can trust. In the face of our suffering, in the face of cancer, even an empty chair on Christmas. Because nothing will change God from one who keeps His promises to one who breaks them. This is the God the Incarnation calls us to worship. A God who is our joy and praise. Well, the Incarnation doesn't just comfort us, it doesn't just lead to praises, but it also fills us with hope. So third and finally, the expectation of God's faithfulness. Verse 21, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Luke closes the narrative of Christ's birth with his circumcision and naming As any Jewish parent of that day would, Mary and Joseph, at eight days old, take Jesus and have him circumcised. And while this sort of just seems like kind of noting their Jewishness or noting the date, this is massively important for our understanding of who Christ is. Everything that the angels proclaimed made it clear that Christ came for all, right? Not just Jews, but Greeks, Gentiles as well. But here we see that Jesus came through the line of Abraham. Mary and Joseph, having treasured and pondered all that the angels have said, eight days later, go have him circumcised as one born under the law. Born through the line of Israel. And then they name him Jesus. And notice what the text says. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. In Matthew 1.21, an angel of the Lord told Joseph that Mary was going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus meaning literally the Lord is salvation. Luke makes a point to highlight here that the name Mary and Joseph give Jesus is the name that God gave Jesus through the angel. This is not a name that they have picked out. It is the name for which the Father sent the Son to take on. John 6, 38, Jesus says as much, I have come down from heaven, 
There's your incarnation, right? I have come down from heaven. Why? Why does he come down from heaven? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Before the foundations of the world were laid, the Father promised the Son a people. And Christ was sent by the Father to save those people. All people, both Greek and Jew, who have faith in Him. And Christ would do this by coming under the law, with all its rules and regulations, including circumcision. Mary and Joseph have Him circumcised as one who has come to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf, even in His infancy. But unbeknownst to them, Christ's circumcision, even as an infant, reminds us that He came to be cut off. Mary and Joseph do not name the Christ. God does. Because it is God the Father who sends the Son into the world to save sinners by being born in the flesh and cut off to die for sinners in the flesh. So that, as Christ says in John 6.38, on the last day, just as the Father promised the Son, He would give to the Son a people, a bride, adorned and holy in Him. They name Him Jesus with the expectation that just as God had promised, Jesus would save His people from their sins. And in the same way that Mary and Joseph look with expectation that God will fulfill His promises, we too can look forward with expectation that God will fulfill His promises to Christ and to all those who have faith in Him. To present you, Christian, as a beloved and adorned bride before Him when He comes again. This is the glad tidings of joy that the angels bring. Not just that Christ has come into the world, but that He has come into the world for you. That He might come again for you. Revelation 21 pictures that day. Verses 2 through 4, we see John, he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That's you, that's the church. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This day is coming. You cannot get in the way of this day coming. God will keep this promise to Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with his and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All of time is ordered to this end to a promise that the Father made to the Son to present you as a holy and beautiful bride before Him. You as dwelling with God, just as Christ dwelled with man on earth, you as holy and completely removed from the pains of sin, you with joy inexpressible as you stand before Christ and all mourning and sadness and pain pass away. On that day, the 400 years of God's silence that ended in the word of Christ will pale 
in comparison to the eternal time of silence for death, sin, and sorrow. This is the hopeful joy that rises above this one day and carries us into next week and after. While you face countless trials and loss and suffering and even sin that leads you to doubt God's faithfulness, you can know that God has not abandoned you. When it seems like God's faithfulness and and promises are falling through, it is right there that God is most faithful to you, just as He was to Christ on the cross. This is the pattern of the Christian life, not this temporary Christmas joy, but suffering, trial, loss that lead to glory. And this path leads to glory because Christ the God-man gave the Father every reason to keep His promise to the Son. No matter what reasons you give the Father to break it. And so you too, like Mary and Joseph, can and must expect with confident hope and assurance not only that God has kept His promises in Christ, but that He will. Especially when it looks like all is lost. When it looks like a cross. Christmas gives us a transcendent, eternal, unshakable, joyful hope that you will be at peace with God when He comes again. It is for this reason that the angels say unto you, is born this child. Your assurance that death will end, that you will be removed from sin, that you will see Christ for all eternity, sorrow and sin free. This assurance is based ultimately in a promise that the unchanging Father made to the unchanging Son. The unchanging Son who took on flesh. In this way, the Incarnation reminds us that God is a faithful God who will keep His promises. Just as He kept His promise to Adam in the garden, just as He kept His promises throughout the Old Testament, just as He kept His promises to Mary and the shepherds here, He will keep His promises to save you and redeem you when Christ comes again. And so it fills us with hope. And it calls us to a confident expectation and assurance in God. This Christmas season, this morning, it's a joyful and hope-filled season, but next year's coming. Christmas decorations won't be up anymore. There won't be presents under the tree. What joy, what hope will sustain you when the carols end? 400 years of silence from from God and the shepherds had no clue what they were about to hear. You may look to the weeks, of, weeks ahead and you see that silence coming again. You may even be experiencing that silence today louder than ever. All that suffering, all that trial, all that grief and that sin, is it just waiting for you to pick back up? Or is there a joy present now and waiting for you there to sustain you in the midst of it? Christian, hear the word of the Lord. He is not silent. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you was born that day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this remains 
a sign for you, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And one day, when you go running to the city, so to say, to come, you will not find a baby there. You will find the Lion of Judah sitting on His throne over sorrow, sin, and death. If you have faith in Christ today, know this. God is faithful to keep His promises to you. You are redeemed and you will be redeemed. And we know this because Christ fulfilled the law and was cut off in your place as a man. And because Christ resurrected and conquered death as God Himself. This one person who is both God and man is coming again for you, His bride. Until then, look to Him, knowing one day all sadness will end. Share this good news, knowing judgment is coming. Marvel at His grace, knowing you deserve that judgment. Treasure the Son, knowing you deserve His wrath, and yet He adores you as His bride. And give glory to God alone, knowing that He is faithful. May God give us a clearer sight of His faithfulness this season and the coming year. And may His will be done on earth with haste as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we praise You today. Lord, we Give glory to Your name alone. Just as the angels did that day, as the shepherds did that day, Lord God, we praise You for Your faithfulness. Lord, it is easy for us to doubt that faithfulness. Lord, we feel a silence, Lord, coming when this temporary joy ends. Lord, speak as You have in Your Word. Lord, Make clear to us your gospel, your love and adoration for us in Christ, and give us hope, Lord. Not empty hope in good things like family, one another, but hope in you that transcends all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.